feeling blue what do you do we got stories to see you through that time of the month that time of the month need a fix come get your kicks we got tales by kooky chicks that time of the month that time of the I, too, was a, a member of the meetup group, the nonfiction group. And I, and I got to tell you, this is just a neat um, community of, of people who, uh, who are writing and telling stories. I hope you all are having a great time. Melly pours her heart and soul and guts into this. And, um, and I'm, I'm just grateful to have been embraced by this uh, and consider this a, a, an honor to get to come and tell stories. So as, as Melanie mentioned, for 11 years, I served congregations as an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. And during that time, I grew a lot, but there were growing pains. And hopefully I grew as a minister and as a husband and as a father. But now I work in the secular world and have done so for about three years. And that was a big, big adjustment. But there are elements of ministry that I really miss. Uh, I do not miss committee meetings and being away from my family four nights a week and never being able to do some of the stuff that Rachel was doing on Saturday nights. <laughs> because that wake-up call on Sunday morning came very early. But one of those, those things that I really miss about the ministry is relationships and community. So that's why I guess I, I'm so excited and, and happy to be a part of this. Being there for people in um, intimate moments of their lives, painful moments of their lives, celebratory moments, that's, that's sacred ground, and I treated it as such. Being there for the birth of children, for baptisms, weddings, and yes, even funerals. One of the things that I learned, though, is, is when I served on the staff of a large church up in suburban Columbus, Ohio, as an associate pastor, is that there are certain things that are reserved for the senior pastor. And funerals are one of those things. I guess the underlying message is that if the senior minister buries you, your life really meant something. If it gets sloughed off on the associate pastor, you somehow fell short, I guess. It doesn't work that way with, with weddings and baptisms. People don't attach that same emotional need to have the head pastor officiate. But funerals are kind of a last statement about one's life. Therefore, the people that associate pastors do get to uh, memorialize usually we're not the everyday Sunday worshipers. So that's hard to do, as you might suspect, uh, when you've never even met the person. In fact, it's kind of sad. I did a memorial service in the mess hall at Wesley Village uh, for a woman named Alice. Assisted living facilities, to me, rank right up there with hospitals. That odor 
being kind of a mixture of broccoli and urine. But the difference with nursing homes is that there is little hope for you to ever make it out of there. If your son has driven in from Cincinnati and your daughter has flown in from Des Moines and they've decided that you would be happier around people your own age, there's not much chance that you're ever going to come back. So you resist them. Hey, I can still cook. You can't take away my independence. I've lived in this house for 50 years. I brought you home from the hospital to this house. And then they say, let's go for a drive. And the next thing you know, it's over. You realize that whatever time left that you have left on this earth will be spent with people you've never met. You will listen to folks screaming down the hall. You will push the jello around on your plate. And you will cry after the Christmas carolers from the Methodist Church have left because those are the last faces from the outside world that you will see until next December. The saddest part of this funeral at Wesley Village is that there was nobody from the outside world, and this was her official memorial service. In attendance was perhaps 30 or so women, mostly, less than half of whom were ambulatory. And the women who came to the service and were able to speak did say thank you. They said it was lovely, but I got to thinking about it. And Alice had lived there for the last four years of her life. And these women didn't know Alice when she was who she was. She used to be full of life. And I would, I would wager that if you looked at her high school yearbook picture, you would see a bright-eyed, beautiful woman smiling and staring at you. But who was Alice when she lived here? Who did these women know? Well, I didn't know her, but yet she demanded a meaningful service, and I felt that I owed that to her and I owed that to God. So I contacted the family and found out what I could about her. I talked to the women in the home and found out that she loved to play rummy and she was fond of cats. But other than some scripture readings and a nice prayer, that's all I had for Alice. Jeannie's funeral was easier. She at least had family in our church. Well, the other pastors were out of town. So I got asked to do her funeral after she had dropped dead of a heart attack at the age of 72. When there's a grieving family, you can gather a ton of information and anecdotes to do justice to someone's time on earth. But even that is a stretch sometimes, because Jeannie hadn't darkened the door of the church in the last 40 years, because she got pissed off for something that no one can even remember what it was, and she never came back. But she was wronged, and she was a victim, and the family hung on to that. Jeannie smoked like a banshee and hung out in her pajamas all day, but her family did love her. The son recalled, Mom loved Christmas. She really looked forward to having all of us over to the house. She had the decorations up the day after Thanksgiving every year. The kids loved the giant Santa in the front yard. I was able to say some things that could have been true for about 99% of all people who die. Jeannie loved her family. She loved life. She was a caring person. She was always there for those that needed her. But that's universally true to some degree. But it's what people want to hear. Occasionally there was the funeral service for a person who had family around. 
but it was obvious that nobody could stand each other. <laughs> Gary Travis fit that bill. He was about 55 when he died, after a lifetime of hard years. Yes, the diabetes was difficult, but perhaps it was his love of Jack Daniels or his unpaid gambling debts that got the best of him. We don't know. The family, too, was at a loss as they gathered in my office. Gary's older brother and older sister sat nervously on my couch. Undoubtedly the first time they'd been in, inside the church in quite some time. So I started, tell me a little bit about Gary. I didn't think that was a tough request, but there was this uncomfortable, pregnant pause. They kind of inhaled. And then with this cathartic stream of consciousness, the brother began, well, Gary had a lot of problems. I mean, I don't want you to mention this at the funeral, but... And as the brother began tossing out the skeletons from the walk-in closet, <laughs> he wasn't emotional. 55 is still pretty young to die, I think. Upon hearing what I heard, I concluded that there were probably many conversations over the last 30 years about how Gary's going to die if he doesn't cut this shit out. <laughs> so I guess they'd been braced for this day. The brother continued, I don't know how to say this, but Gary liked to fight. <laughs> he would go into the bar all the time and he'd be getting into fist fights. I don't know what it was, he would just get real mean when he'd drink. He seemed to be mad a lot. Now dad wasn't real nice to Gary either. He was a real good athlete in high school, he played football and baseball. But he was always getting into a lot of trouble, he's done time in jail. And on and on it went. So I tried to steer things towards something I could actually mention at this guy's funeral. <laughs> well, did, um, did Gary go to church? No. Well, did he have a favorite hymn that he liked or scripture reading? Not really. Well, I'll tell you what, could, could each of you share one good memory of your time with Gary? Silence again. <laughs> the brother finally fielded that one. Well, we, we went out west on a trip when we were kids. <laughs> Gary was never married. Uh, he'd never fathered any children that anyone knew about or would own up to. <laughs> but as far as trying to gain any depth to Gary's personality, it was a losing proposition. I wasn't going to get too much concrete information from these two. And that's what scares me. I'd like to think that despite the many, many mistakes I've made in my life, when it's all said and done, a brother of mine would be able to come up with something of substance more meaningful than a road trip we took together when we were nine years old. Did I help anyone? Did I ever say something really funny? Was I good at my job? Did I have a really neat hobby? Something, anything. This guy's 55 years had to be distilled into 
he was a good man, which I could not have upheld or proven beyond a reasonable doubt in the court of law. <laughs> so on a dreary November morning, in my gray suit and ministerial collar, I led the Travis family through the soppy grass toward the piece of granite with dates and a name etched on it. I read from the Psalms. I read that familiar passage from Ecclesiastes about there being a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, which evidently includes a time to drink and a time to beat the crap out of people. <laughs> and Gary Travis goes into the ground, his headstone a reminder of years wasted and potential unfulfilled. But somewhere, somewhere, Gary had to have touched someone's life in a positive way. Gary loved life, or at least drinking. He was a good man. <laughs> you heard, go spread the word. They're funny, smart, and so absurd. Happens every month. It's the need. Storytelling at its sweetest.